Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do terrific work. You can find out more and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest Bob Levy. He's the chairman emeritus of the Cato Institute. We'll be talking about civil asset forfeiture and eminent domain abuse uh, from the Supreme Court. We'll also visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. It is December the 7th, and on this day in 1941, at 7.55 a.m. Hawaii time, a Japanese dive bomber bearing the red symbol of the rising sun of Japan and on its wing appears out of the clouds above the island of Oahu, a swarm of 360 Japanese warplanes followed, descending on the U.S. naval base at Pearl Harbor in a ferocious assault. The surprise attack struck a critical blow against the U.S. Pacific Fleet and drew the United States irrevocably into World War II. With uh, diplomatic negotiations with Japan breaking down, President Franklin D. Roosevelt and his advisors knew that an imminent Japanese attack was probable, but nothing had been done to increase security in an important naval base at Pearl Harbor. It was Sunday morning, and many military personnel had been given passes to attend religious services off base. At 7.02 a.m., two radar operators spotted large groups of aircraft in flight towards the island from the north, but with the flight of uh, B-17s expected from the United States at the time, they were told to sound no alarm. Thus, the Japanese air assault came at a devastating surprise to the naval base. Much of the Pacific fleet was uh, rendered useless. Five of eight battleships, three destroyers, and seven other ships were sunk or severely damaged, and more than 200 aircraft were destroyed. A total of 2,400 Americans were killed and 1,200 were wounded, many while valiantly attempting to repulse the attack. Japan's losses were some 30 planes, five midget submarines, and fewer than 100 men. Fortunately for the United States, all three Pacific Fleet carriers were out of the sea on sea on training maneuvers. These giant aircraft carriers would have been had their average revenge against Japanese or, or Jap- Japan six months later at the Battle, Battle of Midway, reversing the tide against the previously invincible Japanese Navy in a spectacular victory. The day after Pearl Harbor was bombed, President Roosevelt appeared before a joint session of Congress and declared yesterday. December the 7th, 1941, a date that will live in infamy, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. After a brief and forceful speech, he gave Congress to approve, he asked Congress to approve the resolution recognizing the state of war between the United States and Japan. The uh, Senate voted for the war against Japan by 82 to nothing, and the House of Representatives approved the resolution by a vote of 388 to 1. The sole dissenter was Representative Jeanette Rankin of Montana, a devout pacifist who had also cast a dissenting vote against the U.S. entrance into World War I. Three days later, Germany and Italy declared war against the United States, and the U.S. government responded in kind. The American contribution to the successful Allied war effort spanned four years and cost more than 400,000 American lives. On this day, 1941, so interesting. In the Civil War, a million deaths uh, in order to defend our freedoms. Well, ahead of December the 2nd, the 81st year since the 1941 Pearl Harbor attack, Governor Ron DeSantis ordered U.S. and Florida flags to fly at half-staff. On December the 7th, he said, 1941, over 2,000 American soldiers and civilians lost their lives and over 1,000 were injured in the Japanese attack on the U.S. naval base at Pearl Harbor. That from our governor, Ron DeSantis. Well, Republican Senate nominee and Georgia Herschel Walker addressed supporters after his loss to incumbent Democrat Raphael Warnock uh, Tuesday evening. He lost uh, by a a count of about 100,000 votes. It was was very close. It was back and forth all evening. We watched it until about 9.30 or 10 o'clock at night. Walker told supporters that we put up one heck of a fight in a speech at his election night gathering and said he appreciated 
we can't blame no one because I want you to continue to believe in this country, Walker said, encouraging voters to continue fighting for Georgia. The Associated Press called the race for Warnock after about 10.30 p.m., ending a five-week runoff campaign. Warnock led the November 8th election by about 36,000 votes, but did not secure more than 50% of the vote, triggering this runoff uh, yesterday. One of the things that uh, uh, Herschel Walker did was declare that he wouldn't use dirty and lying tactics in order to campaign uh, for the Senate seat. Unfortunately, I think uh, politics is such a dirty business. I'm not sure that was a wise move, but I think it reflects his character. Anyhow, he conceded, and uh, I don't know if there's going to be a recount. Could be, but I'm not sure it could be to no avail. President Joe Biden said that there was no need for him to visit the southern border despite the migrant situation that existed since he took office. Republicans have criticized Biden for not visiting the U.S.-Mexico border in Texas or Arizona to witness the migrant surge firsthand. Before embarking on a visit to the Grand Canyon State, Biden was asked whether he planned to visit the border. There are more important things going on, Biden told reporters. (laughs) They are going to be invest billions of dollars in new enterprise in the state. Biden was headed to Phoenix to help Taiwan semiconductor manufacturer announce plans for a second microchip facility in the state. This is definitely a parade old Joe wanted to jump in front of, no question about that. And uh, that certainly exceeded the importance of visiting the border. Bad optics on his part. We're not thrilled with how he's uh, handling the border. Last week, uh, White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre Falsely claimed Biden had been to the southern border once a while in office. He's been there, the press secretary said. He's been to the border. And since he took office, she said, well, that's not true. According to One American News Network, travel logs show that Biden never visited the border during his time in office. On Monday, Jean-Pierre was asked why Biden was not planning to spend time at the border while in Arizona. Let's have a bipartisan agreement on immigration. Instead of doing political stunts, instead of doing what they're doing, going to the border, not actually coming up with any real ideas about that, she said during the White House press briefing, he's going to go to Arizona to talk about an important initiative that's going to change Americans' lives, specifically in Arizona. Uh, Taiwan Semiconductor planned to announce that it was increasing its commitment from $12 billion to $40 billion on one of the country's largest foreign direct investments. He Biden's going to actually focus on an issue, a bipartisan issue that was voted on in Congress, the Chips and Science Act, she said, something that he's going to deliver for the people in Arizona, creating jobs and making people's lives better and making sure that we are bringing manufacturing back to the United States. U.S. Customs and Border Protection statistics show that 230,000 migrant uh, encounters occurred during just October alone. Well, I guess the president's saying, you know, I can't multitask. I'd rather just uh, go out there and take credit for what's happening with Taiwan Semiconductor than to go to the border. Uh, but uh, to her point about having bipartisan agreement on immigration, I think they've got the agreement they want right now, which is not enforcing the law. They're, they're doing nothing to stop immigration uh, across the border in Arizona and from Mexico and uh, into other states as well. And by the way, Arizona Senator Kirsten Sinema declined to travel on Air Force One with the president to her home state on Tuesday. Uh, Since entering the Senate in 2019, she's distanced herself from the Democrat Party with her refusal to tow its leadership's partisan line. The dissident Democrat blocked partisan plans to abolish the Senate filibuster, preventing Senate Democrats from ramming through legislation to the president's desk with only 50 votes. Sinema also declined to campaign for Democrats in the recent midterm elections and was the only Democrat uh, to to skip pre-election rally with former President Barack Obama. Progressive anger with Sinema has fueled a likely primary challenge with Arizona Democrat Representative Ruben Gallego, uh, suggesting that he'll take take her down the moderate senator in 2024. This is interesting. Some have speculated, I've not heard this, but I'll just report it to you. Some have speculated that uh, Sinema could change parties and become a Republican. Now, wouldn't that be an interesting turn of events? 
Arizona uh, Gov- uh, GOP Representative Andy Biggs on Tuesday mounted a second challenge to less than a month against uh, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy for GOP congressional leadership. The left wants to see McCarthy's speakership by Biggs, former chair of the conservative House Freedom Caucus, the chamber's most conservative wing, wrote in an op-ed published in the Daily Caller. Establishment Republicans want to see a continuation of the swamp, he said. Leader McCarthy is about to eviscerate our leverage for the uh, balance of the Biden presidency. And we are here we have an establishment candidate for the Speaker of the House. Speaker challenged, uh, Biggs challenged McCarthy for House GOP leadership last month. And McCarthy won the House election in uh, 188 to 31, while Republicans are projected uh, to have 221 seats next in Congress, I think it's going to be 222. Internal GOP disagreements may make it difficult for McCarthy to secure the 218 votes needed in the final floor, floor vote to be elected to Speaker. This is so interesting, too. On Tuesday, Twitter CEO Elon Musk announced that the attorney Jim Baker had been exited, is the word he used, from the company following recent uh, revelations that he may have played a role in facilitating censorship on the platform. An accident, I guess, is a fancy word for fired. Anyhow, Baker, hired by Twitter as deputy general counsel following a stint at the FBI that ended with him essentially being forced out of the job. In light of concerns about Baker's possible role in suppression of uh, information important to the public dialogue, he was exited from Twitter Twitter today, uh, Musk wrote on Twitter. Musk said that uh, Baker's explanation was unconvincing once he was confronted. Twitter files included revelations that Twitter took extraordinary steps to suppress the Hunter Biden laptop story, removing links and posting warnings that it may be unsafe. They even blocked its transmission via direct message, a tool hitherto reserved for extreme cases. That is so interesting. What essentially he was doing is uh, Trump's or uh, Musk said, I wanted to look at the information and make it public, and it was all filtered through Baker. He arranged to have to look at everything in order to censor it to determine what uh, Musk would, was going to be able to look at. That's a no-no. Can't do that to the owner. And so he got exited <laughs> from the company. Uh, this, is, this is all going to be coming out, and it's so interesting. We just really appreciate uh, Musk. I appreciate Musk and his courage and what he's uh, doing to reveal the past crimes of Twitter and the Democratic uh, Party. Uh, And by the way, uh, a top FBI official has stepped down just as House Republicans have announced plans to investigate recent operation actions at the Bureau. So this is Stephen D'Antuano, Assistant Director in in charge of FBI Washington Field Office, announced his retirement after a 26-year, 10-month career with the FBI. I chose to retire, he wrote. Yesterday was my last day. I don't think it's going to get him off the hook, though, in terms of testifying in front of Congress. I think uh, he can't avoid uh, the hot seat. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. 
Ulubi's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulubees.com and stop by Lulubee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulubee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulubee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252 252- 4541 Welcome back to the Bob Harden show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York style theater at its very best. And Steel Magnolias is running through the 11th. You could still get tickets. The website is golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Andrew Joppa. Right now, we have with us Bob Levy. He is Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and devoted to defending private property, free markets, securing individual rights, and limited government. C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Thank you, Bob. Well, for the last several weeks, we've been talking about the expansion of government because of Supreme Court decisions, major decisions since the New Deal. Let's talk a little bit about civil asset for forfeiture. It's kind of a conundrum about how the state can take your stuff. Uh, what's the constitutional basis for seizing assets without due process? It was a case back in 1996 uh, called Bennis versus Michigan, Supreme Court case. And <clears throat> Mrs. Bennis had a car that she owned, her husband took the car without her knowledge, without her consent, and had sex in the car with a prostitute. So the police arrested the husband and the prostitute and the car. Huh. And when, when Mrs. Bennis sued uh, to get her car back, the court said that the criminal offense extends not just to the husband and the, pros- and the prostitute, <clears throat> but to the car itself. And therefore, the government could seize the car, and Mrs. Bennis could not recover either the car or its value. Sounds preposterous, but that's what the court ruled. Yeah, and, you know, and right now we're hearing about people whose boats have been stolen in order to smuggle drugs, and then they don't get their boats back because of this right. uh, civil asset that, forfeiture. That. Are some forms of asset seizure justified? Yeah, there, there are basically three types of seizure. First, there's contraband. An example might be counterfeit plates Mm -hmm. for printing money. Uh, Certainly, the government can seize those. Second, there's what's called ill-gotten gains. So if you were to sell your counterfeit plates to me, and I were to pay you $1,000 for those plates, of course, the money, that $1,000 could also be seized by the government. But the third classification is what's known as the facilitation doctrine, and that is any asset that's deemed to have facilitated the commission of the crime, such as Mrs. Bennis's card. So the federal rules have now been tightened, and all the states now have what's called an innocent owner defense, namely if the owner 
didn't know about all of this, then the asset <clears throat> has to be returned. But many of the states still place the burden on the owner, not on the government. The owner has to prove his innocence of knowledge. And as you uh, indicated, civil asset forfeiture is expanding. It's it's a more uh, one of the more regrettable by- byproducts of our drug war. Uh, the government using the proceeds of these unconstitutional expropriations to fund law enforcement activities who are permitted under the law to keep the money that they obtained by selling off the assets that have been forfeited. Isn't there some sort of a conflict of interest there? It is absolutely a conflict of interest that we at the Cato Institute and others as well have been fighting this for a couple of decades and we're making some headway. We have gotten the burden changed from preponderance of the evidence to clear and convincing evidence, and we do have this innocent owner defense. But there is still quite a lot of civil asset forfeiture going on, primarily, as I said, as a byproduct of the drug war where assets are being used without the owner's consent or knowledge uh, to uh, facilitate the commission of drug crimes. Well, we could certainly solve that by legalizing drugs. <laughs> That's another Indeed. discussion. <laughs> Indeed. Let's, let's move yeah. to uh, eminent domain, then, uh, eminent domain abuse. Uh, where does the authority for eminent domain come from? Well, we, we have this case back in 2005, a really horrible case called Kilo versus City of New London, again, Supreme Court. So Mrs. Kilo has a cherished home in which she's lived for a lot of years, as well as neighbors in the same area. And along comes a private developer, and he promises the city of New London more jobs and higher taxes if only the city will just condemn Mrs. Kilo's property and her neighbor's property under the power of eminent domain and then turn it over to the developer. And in that case, uh, Suzette Kilo lost her home because the developer convinced the city that he knew how to use her property better than she did. Hmm. And specifically, he said he could get Pfizer to build a pharmaceutical plant and then add a hotel and even apartment buildings. So naturally, Mrs. Kilo, who loved her home, wasn't wild about the idea. She points to the taking clause in the Fifth Amendment, and there it says, private property can be seized only for public use. Now, usually, that means roads or military bases or government buildings, but not a hotel or an apartment building, which is what was seized, which, uh, um, which was what was promised by the developer when they seized Mrs. Kilo's home. Wow. That's just uh, criminal on my... So what did the Supreme Court have to say about all this? Well, when the court weighed in, Justice Stevens, uh, along with the other liberals on the court, but joined by Justice Kennedy, who was usually a swing vote, they decided that the Constitution didn't really mean public use. What it meant was public purpose and economic development, more jobs, more taxes, certainly met that test. Uh. Of course, you know, if that's the standard, then nobody's property is safe right. from the government's uh, claims. Uh, it's always possible to conceive of commercial development, like a pharmaceutical plant and more jobs, et cetera, that w- would generate higher taxes and would generate job opportunities, more so than would be uh, generated by, certainly by a private home. So our homes are always on the block if that's going to be the standard. That's unbelievable. So what has happened in the aftermath of the Kilo case? Yeah, fortunately, there is an epilogue, and uh, thanks to a media campaign uh, by the Institute for Justice, which litigated uh, the case and lost in the Supreme Court, the Kilo decision, I think public outrage uh, unseen uh, since the abortion cases, both Roe v. Wade and the latest uh, Dobbs case. Uh, And as a result, 43 states have now passed legislation that, to one degree or another, has trumped 
the uh, Kelo decision and reined in the use of eminent domain for economic development. And I, I think there are two lessons there. First, there's more than one way to win a case. So even if you lose in court, mm-hmm. you can take your case to the court of public opinion and try for some remedial legislation. And second, the states can always grant you more protection for your rights than the feds. So the Constitution, the U.S. Constitution, it sets a floor and not a ceiling. And there is one other interesting fact here. Even though Suzette Kilo's home had been relocated, the Pfizer plant never happened. Neither did the hotel. Neither did the apartment buildings. And in November of 2009, Pfizer actually closed a nearby facility. Today, the tract of land where Mrs. Kilo lived uh, is vacant. So, so much for this uh, story about economic development, which never materialized, notwithstanding uh, the seizure of Mrs. Kilo's home. All right, but but even if it had been a successful development, my goodness, Bob, I mean, it does, it's not justified taking somebody's home. And what happened if a developer came by and said, well, that Pfizer plant, you know, I could develop something that's even better, create more revenue for the city. You yeah. should tear that down. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it, it just breeds uh, political favors and corruption that goes along with it, with uh, people with clout, with contacts, with political <clears throat> pull, uh, get to work their will, notwithstanding the property rights of homeowners. It's an outrage. And fortunately, we've moved a little bit away from, uh, but the Constitution still allows uh, for the seizure of private property, even if it's for public purpose and not for public use. Bob Levy again, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Andrew Jopper, author of Josepha Savaz, that and more, right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Finish what you started with the Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform, and you can find out more and download the app by visiting the website choicesocial.us. We have with us Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. So uh, usually we start our uh, Wednesday discussions with uh, some good news. Any good news? 
I have some. It's personal in the in the in terms of it's my interpretation. Let me just mention before we get to that, Bob, and this is not good news per se, obviously, but uh, it's the 81st anniversary of Pearl Harbor Day, uh, yep. a, a date that will live in infamy. I but I unfortunately would probably suggest that most people under the age of 30 have very little understanding of what that was about, when it occurred, what the adversaries were, why they were adversaries, and so. I think this is uh, sinking into almost ancient American history at this point, unfortunately, because it should be one of those warnings that uh, that we we uh, take the heed for the for the rest of our our, our future. But uh, it is our it is the 81st anniversary. I have a personal relationship, if I might, with uh, with Pearl Harbor Day. My mother and father were only dating at that point. That when Pearl Harbor occurred, the emotionalism of of that event uh, provoked them to get married. Uh, my father was scheduled to would go off to uh, basic training in February of 1942, and I was born in October of 1942. Yeah. So in a real sense, I am a result of that uh, Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. So uh, in my personal little world, uh, that was my good news as, as it relates to that event. Well, it's great to have you around, Andy. I'm happy that it'll happen. <laughs> so. As I am, Bob, as I am. <laughs> I, I always tell that story to my classes in terms of uh, systems thinking, where everything in a system affects everything else in the system forever. So I tell them that their lives at that moment are being affected by the Japanese decision to attack Pearl Harbor on that exact date. Uh, if it was any other date, I wouldn't be here t uh, teaching you. So uh, it's that relationship of all things in a system that I, I use that event to, to highlight, Bob. Uh, and it makes sense because uh, everything changes Everything's connected, and uh, I think that's just proof positive that's the case. Uh, uh, everything is connected and forever, Bob. So here we are. Uh, uh, in terms of the, the good news, and I mention it's uh, within my own perspective, I've seen a couple of articles indicating that Ron DeSantis should not be seduced by uh, all of the media press. In many cases, it's the left media that is suggesting that this is DeSantis's moment. This is when he should uh, launch his challenge to a weakened Donald Trump and so forth. So I think the, the left really would love uh, to provoke a, a primary confrontation between DeSantis uh, and Trump. But I am now seeing, and I've seen two articles, which uh, it's not necessarily a trend, but uh, it's more than I've seen uh, uh, certainly in the past, uh, that DeSantis should uh, uh, hold on, uh, not be seduced by this process, uh, should join forces with Trump and perhaps uh, align themselves with an Elon Musk. Uh, and uh, I agree with this, and the article suggests that a uh, triumvirate of Trump, DeSantis, and Musk uh, would be an un undefeatable force in the 2024 presidential election, Bob. So interesting. I, I personal, my personal belief is that I think, I, I realize there's a lot of turmoil and uh, uh, a lot of messiness when it goes into primaries. Anybody can decide they'd like to run for president if they're 35 years of age and an American citizen, natural-born American citizen, they can decide to run. And I, I would expect Pompeo uh, and many others, uh, maybe, uh, maybe DeSantis, who knows, to uh, decide to throw their hat in the ring. And my opinion is, let the best man or woman win, because that's just the way our process works. Well, it depends what we define as the best man or woman. Uh, is it the, is the best man or woman the, the person who uh, is the most uh, sociable, the person who is the nicest, or is it the person who will do the most to help America out of its current dilemma? We're in a, uh, I've mentioned this in a previous blog, Bob, in my estimation, we're in a political wartime environment internally. Uh, into the, inter the internecine war that we're, we're going through uh, requires and demands somebody uh, who can uh, be involved with that fight and win it. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, the only person who has documented that capability to this point is is Donald Trump. Well, I'm in violent agreement with you, actually, Andy, and I'm, I support Donald Trump as the, as the presidential candidate and as the president of the United States. He wants to make America great, and I quite frankly can't think of anybody else who's making that claim that that's what they want. And he did. He moved the ball forward. He moved the needle with in, in his presidency, and I would like to like him back and to come back and finish the job and kind of set the pins for the ne for the rest of uh, for the next century for the United States of America. That's my opinion. I'd like to see him be president, but in the meantime, I think he'll be a better candidate uh, if he actually has primary challengers. 
Well, he will have primary challenges. I mean, including probably Hutchinson of of of, of Arkansas for crying out loud. I yeah, mean, what a loser he is. <laughs> there's no doubt. I mean, Liz Cheney will throw her hat into the ring. Yeah. I'm I'm confident that that, that that's going to happen. So yes, there will be primary challenges. But we, I think, we both know that the uh, the main potential challenger uh, and the one that uh, would, uh, in the long run, would be a a favorite candidate of mine is Ron DeSantis. Uh, so it's just it's not a matter of any anything in my mind negative about Ron DeSantis. It's a matter of the timing. The timing yeah. needs Donald Trump, a proven warrior for America, Bob. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with that. And uh, I, I, before we move on, what are your, any comments on the Warnock victory last night in, in Georgia? Yeah, I have a bit more on that, but let me move into that Warnock issue. Uh, last week, you, you asked me uh, what I... Br- felt about the uh, the upcoming Warnock uh, Walker election I and I told you that I I thought Warnock was going to win and I I suggested that the reason was that the black vote was going uh, primarily to Warnock and that has proven to be an absolute truth Bob <clears throat> if we look at it in terms of uh, actually I think the final count has Warnock overall ahead by uh, by 3 percentage points uh, but in Fulton County, the largest population county in Georgia, uh, Warnock uh, pulled 76% of the vote in Fulton County, 76%. Uh, Fulton County is 43% black. If we expand that to the larger category of people of color, it's almost 60%. By almost uh, all polling results, Warnock was going to pull down 90% of the black vote. The case can be made, it's a valid case, that the entirety of Warnock's win was the black vote in Fulton County, which is, and I'm not saying I I did something special here, but it was just, that was what I predicted, because that's the way the numbers looked last week, Bob. That's so interesting. And why why would uh, the black population prefer Warnock over Herschel Walker? Ah. Well, I, I, it goes back just to the uh, the commitment that so many blacks have to the Democratic Party, uh, and I think it's it, it really ends there. Uh, War, uh, Walker uh, absolutely received no uh, no votes from the black community because he was an African American himself. Uh, absolutely none. If we look at all of the counties uh, surrounding Atlanta and in Atlanta, uh, certainly, and that includes uh, Fulton. Uh, all of those counties went strongly for Warnock, and uh, all are, are heavily African American communities. And certainly, I I'm not begrudging their right to cast their vote as they would want. But uh, my, my goodness, if uh, if Walker just received his lion's share of the bl- of the black vote, uh, he would have won that election going away. Bob, it's a big deal because, quite frankly, now we don't have the uh, power sharing in the Senate, and the consequence of that will be a lot of very progressive judges being appointed uh, in the next couple. Of years, and that's not good for America. Well, I mean, it would have happened anyway with the Harris uh, deciding vote uh, at this point for the next two years at least. Uh, but again, having that extra vote uh, gives them a little bit of slack in terms of how they of how they proceed. So now they're going in at fifty-one forty-nine with a, uh, a a real majority, uh, and I think that will serve them well as it goes forward. So um, it's it's perhaps not an overwhelmingly significant issue, but it certainly will will help the, the Democrats going forward, Bob. Anyone to take a little break? Can you stick around? I will certainly be here. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Finish what you started with the Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University.
Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be here, Bob. So, Andy, you wrote a piece about uh, the cost Trump uh, <clears throat> wanting to terminate the Constitution. At least that's what the left... <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's not only the left, but all too many on the right are condemning him for what they say is his uh, demand that the Constitution be, be terminated. Let, let me back up in that discussion to, uh, to start a little bit earlier. Uh, Trump has been uh, widely condemned because he, he won't let go of the 2020 election, mm-hmm. uh, as if that is only an ego issue with Trump. It's just a, a personal ego issue. Uh, let's look at it more realistically. Trump absolutely understood the implication of that election being stolen from him in 2020. It would be a Biden administration. It would be the uh, foretelling of future uh, election fraud in 2022 and now perhaps in 2024. So Trump Trump was fighting a battle uh, to save the uh, election process in America, and he recognized that all too, people, uh, all too few people, Bob, uh, were concerned with it. Uh, so he's always been pushing that issue, not because of his own ego, but because of its absolute importance to America. For those that just have been telling Trump to shut up about this, what are they doing to undo the, the nature of voter fraud? But in the specifics of this recent issue, uh, Trump indicated his exact words, um, said a massive fraud, speaking of the election uh, in 2020, of this type and magnitude, allows for the termination of all rules, regulations, and articles, even those found in the Constitution. Uh, Now, they suggest that that is, that is the comment that suggested he wanted to terminate the Constitution. Actually, what Trump was saying, and it's quite obvious, is he wanted to defend the Constitution because he recognized with the current directions, the way we're going in, unless the, uh, the, the, the Constitution was given reverence by the political pro- process, it would not be able to maintain its, its authority over America. So what he was saying essentially was, that the Founding Fathers did not consider the implication of a fraud of this magnitude that took place. Uh, They couldn't even imagine or contemplate its uh, uh, occurrence, and therefore they didn't suggest a remedy. So what Trump was saying, when this happens, when there is a widely identified fraud, the Constitution has not given us the remedy. We have to, in fact, not work outside the document in sense of, 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 of eliminating its, its positions, but effectively to support the Constitution by suggesting and knowing that the Founding Fathers never would have supported a known fraudulent ed- uh, election process, Bob. You know, just two comments on that. Uh, the first is, first of all, uh, Pence did, did not have a ministerial role there in uh, approving uh, the uh, the votes that, as they came in. His what role was to challenge them. That's one of the reasons they put the vice president in charge of that. They could have put the parliamentarian in charge of that in the Constitution if they didn't want that, that to be a solution to fraud. So I see that as basically uh, Pence saying, you know what, I'm not going to do my job. I'm not going to demonstrate the courage in order to protect uh, the voter rights and the fraud and challenge the fraud that's been perpetrated in the 2020 election. So that's... Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, this is this is a, a uh, to me, uh, I could probably make the case. I'm not sure if, if all I'm going to say is, is absolutely true in terms of myself. But I think it is the most important issue in America, Bob. Right. If, if the election process cannot be brought under uh, legal and ethical control, uh, where the American people as a, as a whole uh, understands its its legality can uh, can accept the result of an election with with no concern for uh, for fraud having taken place. I, I think this democracy and its republic forget the democracy. That's uh, that's not how who we are, obviously. But the republic that we are uh, will be destroyed. So the election process is a is is a key component uh, of the nature of this country. Speaking of that, there, there's another issue which I uh, actually several which which have to be considered. Uh, there's a Supreme Court case uh, which is uh, in the court right now, which is a result of the uh, North Carolina legislature ruling in terms of redistricting uh, in the state where it created uh, perhaps an additional several uh, Republican uh, seats in North Carolina. The Supreme Court, which has a Democrat majority, uh, overruled that and drew their own redistricting lines, which created a better balance for the Democrats. The Supreme Court is being asked to rule, and it's being seen as perhaps one of the most critical rulings in its history. Do the courts have any role to play in terms of creating the election circumstance in any state? The Constitution is clear, Bob, that the state legislatures have exclusive domain over the election process. So what the Supreme Court is being asked to define is, is that a totality statement? Is, is it true in every one of its nuances and implications? So if, if the Supreme Court rules that the uh, Supreme Court of North Carolina had no legal role to play, this is going to have dramatic implications in terms of the election process across the United States, Bob. Uh, I don't know how to feel about that, quite frankly, Andy. I have to think about that. In the meantime, I just want to make this comment, too. There is a certain degree of irony that uh, President Trump's com uh, comments about the Constitution actually forced uh, conservatives and the mainstream media to... Uh, uh, to uh, support the Constitution, which is kind of an anomaly, isn't it? <laughs> yes, and it certainly is, in, in many cases, an absolute hypocrisy. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the Democrat Party certainly has, uh, in their concept, Bob, of the Constitution being a living document, and I've always said that when somebody says that, what they're trying to say is the existing Constitution is a dead document. In other words, it has no absolute uh, binding authority over the United States, and anything in it can be altered to meet the what is called, Bob, the tyranny of today. Yeah. In other words, today's issue will overwhelm and override anything in the Constitution if the case can be made that that immediate issue is more important than what the ruling of the Constitution and the terms of the, pro of the Constitution would allow. So, Andy, uh, before we go to break, uh, do you have any comments about about this decision on how it should go? Yes, um, there is a uh, history which indicates there is a, uh, a prior preference of at least three of the judges in, in other uh, rulings that they would indicate that the absolute authority of the legislature is uh, constitutionally mandated, uh, regardless of what they think. Uh, they believe the Constitution requires that, and anything other than that would require a, uh, a constitutional amendment. Uh -huh. That makes sense to me, Andy. Andy, we need to take a little break. Can you stick around? I'll be here, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. 
Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, among other things, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. You can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We continue the conversation with Professor Andrew Joppa, author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, again, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good to be here, Bob. So thank you, Andy. I mean, the right now uh, we have a couple of suggestions, I'll call them, or legislative uh, initiatives uh, that are being considered, like lowering the voting age to 16. What are your thoughts? Well, it's a horrible idea. I mean, right now it's, it's, pr- it's primarily being pro- promoted for local, local issues, but these things uh, move on beyond that once we have that kind of uh, uh, lower election process ruling. Um, I would suggest that uh, in the immediate future it would extend to, to federal elections. Um, we know that the, the left is pushing this, and we know why. Uh, that portion of our population, Gen Zers, Gen Xers, Millennials even, uh, are very heavily uh, supporting the Democrat Party. So this is not some sort of an attempt to improve the quality of American life or the voting outcomes. This is another attempt to find a, uh, a voting block, again, as the Democrats consistently do, uh, to support their, uh, their process. So uh, I'm against it. I, I think, as a matter of fact, I'd like to extend the voting age to perhaps uh, 55 or 60, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding, of course. Yeah, of course you are. But, but it kind of runs in parallel, doesn't it, with the illegal immigration and what's happening on the border? Well, yeah, right now there's uh, uh, action in, in Congress to uh, uh, give uh, legality to the Dreamers, as they're called. It, it's a compromise vote, theoretically. Now, now, why the Republicans would want to compromise with the Democrats uh, in a lame duck uh, House uh, circumstance is totally beyond me, but the compromise would uh, give uh, more support to uh, to border patrol and closing the border while giving citizenship legal legal access to to voting therefore uh, to two million people, which eventually will include their extended families so we 're probably talking a number of five or six million additional voters, most of those at least the vast majority uh, will be democrat. Uh, Mitch McConnell is is uh, is supporting this. Uh, again, uh, why give uh, Biden a win? Because Biden, uh, if this legislation is uh, is, is finalized, uh, will claim that he is the the source of the approval of those uh, of that of those dreamers uh, being given legal access. Uh, so I don't understand why the why the Republicans would want to do it. Uh, but yet there does seem to be uh, that movement that's going on. Uh, in keeping with this, and I, I wanted to mention this before, but I hear more and more Republicans talking about uh, they have to do exactly what the Democrats have done to ensure they have greater voting success. In other words, have a, uh, a vastly extended voting time period uh, in the states controlled by, uh, by Republican legislatures to have mass mailing of ballots uh, out to everyone as takes place in the Democrat states. Uh, what the Republicans don't seem to realize, I don't understand why they don't, is that it's not merely the, the, the method 
that the Democrats use uh, in the in the states they control. It is the process by which those votes are harvested, right. by the process by which they're tabulated, uh, by the, the the general issue of of ballot harvesting. Uh, it is, and I'm going to call it fraudulent. It is the fraudulent implication of this voting model that creates the success uh, often uh, for the Democrats. It isn't merely the existence of that form of voting, Bob. I totally agree with that. And quite frankly, you mentioned Mitch uh, McConnell, and he seems to be going along to get along. Uh, there's a movement for new leadership, a new broom sweeps clean, as they say. And right now, uh, Andy Biggs is making the challenge in the House. Somebody ought to challenge McConnell. He doesn't belong. He should not be the leader for the uh, uh, Republican minority. Yeah, I, I've read all of the information on why McConnell is, is strong, uh, uh, ranging all the way from he has J. Edgar Hoover dossiers on everybody or something. That, uh, But I, I cannot understand why a man that was so weak in the support of Senate candidates, all four of the seriously challenged Democrat seats in the 2022 midterms were held by the Democrats to a large extent because of the lack of resources that were given uh, to the Republican candidates. That would be Dr. Oz. Uh, it would also be Walker. Um, I understand that, uh, that Warnock spent $175 million on his campaign. Now, Walker's fund was not, it was not peanuts. I think he spent $45 million. But we're talking a, a factor of almost uh, four times as much money being yeah. spent by, by Warnock in that campaign. Mitchell, uh, McConnell seemed to show absolutely no serious concern with having uh, the capture of those four Democrat seats. Well, he's actually facilitated Burkowski in Alaska. You just go around the withholding money, uh, extra funding for certain candidates. It seemed to me, it looked to me like his motive was in order to stay in power, he needed to be uh, the leader of the minority in the Senate, and therefore he managed it to that process. Why, in fact, the uh, the significant Republicans in the Senate, uh, those that I can call significant, why they they haven't been more verbal about this is is totally beyond me. Uh, as by the way, I would add, almost everything in the uh, in the D.C. belt is beyond me at this point. I, I have I cannot comprehend why people who are uh, charged with fulfilling the Constitution and defending this country uh, are acting in the manner they do. Bob, I agree with that, and uh, frankly, again, just coming back full circle. Uh, to me, I'm so grateful that Ron DeSantis is our governor. He is our firewall against the insanity that's going on around the country and in Washington, D.C. Well, I just hope that what's on the other side of Ron DeSantis, whenever that might take place, um, is is uh, the equivalency of Ron DeSantis. So uh, I, I guess this is why I've always, not always, but recently suggested that uh, Byron Donalds would make a fine governor, and I, I think he could s significantly fill the shoes that Ron DeSantis would leave empty. And, and I'll tell you why. It's, he's a very bright man, number one. But number two, he understands the Constitution and protects the Constitution. So to your point, I mean, the reason he said, he said the reason why the, the election was stolen in 2020 is not because because he's a Trump supporter, because he said there are four states that just did not follow uh, their their laws and therefore uh, violated the constitutional principles for our elections. You, you were just speaking of Byron when you were talking about that. that that's right. That's right. I mean, I, mean, I, I have uh, known uh, Byron Donalds for a long time. He's perhaps the most knowledgeable man in terms of the Constitution that I've ever known. Uh, he's articulate. He's strong. He doesn't back down. Uh, I think he'd make a fine governor, uh, and I'm going to project even further than that. You know, after two terms as governor, that's the, the pathway to the presidency. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm throwing Byron Donald's hat into the presidential election in, I don't know, 2036. I think that's the, that's the right year. You know, we have so much to talk about and so little time to do it. Uh, any uh, parting comments, uh, Andy? Just just one. These recent uh, drone attacks fairly deep into Russia, uh, I think, are, are and should be extremely worrisome. One of the Russian air bases that was hit by what appears to be uh, U Ukraine drones um, is a base that with nuclear weapons on it. Uh, I think this type of escalation, and I, I'm not saying that we should deprive Ukraine of the, uh, of the, of the process of attacking an, an adversary, but on the other hand, this is an escalation uh, that the United States has to do something to cool down. Uh, when you start getting attacks inside Russia, there's no telling how that might unfold, Bob. 
great point to end on. Again, Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. I genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. See you Friday, Bob. All right. Thank you, Andy. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Tomorrow we're going to visit with Keith Flaw, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Michael Cannon is the Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government and the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, always sheds light on what's happening here locally. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. And if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. Hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>